Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. It's an honor to be here to, to bring the Word this morning. Um, I, I, I am preaching about church, and I just want to check. It is the last day of the new year. Uh, who... who does like New Year's resolutions, just a show of hands. Oh yeah, maybe like a third of us. Um, is anyone willing to share like something they make a resolution about or, uh, I mean, just shout it out. Work, work, work out and what? More time in the word, in the word. nice, okay. Anything else? Take my dogs on more walks, Take my dogs on more walks. nice. <clears throat> I love it. I, I was thinking about this concept of New Year's resolutions. I usually don't make one because I'm like, hey, if it's good enough to start, start any time. But when I was thinking about church, Nick asked me to preach about church. I've never heard anyone make a resolution about church. And so this morning, I kind of want us to be thinking about church, what that means. Um, you know, when you hear the word church, it could be like a building. It could be like a group of people. Uh, when I was younger, in high school, I heard a, I heard a rhyme if you know it, um, you can finish it for me. It goes, this is the church, this is the steeple, open up the doors. See all the people, you guys know it. Um, I wish Karin were here. I want to apologize because Karin sang a song a couple weeks ago. I had no idea what that was. But I, I learned this, this rhyme in high school. I, I guess it's something you're supposed to learn you know, in, in, when you're younger. But see, this is why my parents are immigrants from Taiwan. There's no way they're going to teach me this thing. They can't even speak English. <laughs> so I learned it in high school, and I, and I remember hearing it, and I was like, that's not right. And I knew my ecclesiology. The church is the people. So I went up to my friends. I'm like, hey, I heard this rhyme, but I made a new one. It goes like this. This is a building. This is a steeple. Open up the doors. Here's the church. Yeah. <laughs> They stared at me like, Jimmy, you're weird. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't rhyme. <laughs> so um, we're thinking about church. It could be, you know, like, like a denomination. It could be a building. It could be a group of people. Um, and when we say, I want, you know, we, we value church, what does that mean? Um, I, I kind of gathered some biblical images of what the church is according to the Bible. I'm, we're going to put it up on the slide. And it's, I want to tell you, it's a very ridiculous slide uh, because it's very small. Um, it's so small <laughs> that you can't even see it. Um, it it's very colorful. <laughs> so, what's cool? Okay, great. What's cool about this is that when you think about the church, in the Bible, it actually ties to the Trinity. We have the people of God, we have the body of Christ, we have the temple of the Spirit. Now this chart is going to get really ridiculous because it's going to get very small. I'm not going to go through every single one of these, but I wanted to lay a foundation for our understanding of what we, when we say church, what do we mean by that? So next slide. People of God, body of Christ, temple of the Spirit. And I had... I, when I was putting this together, I realized a lot of them started with the letter C. 
And so uh, I, I made them start with the letter C, <laughs> the ones that didn't. And it's going to get pretty crazy. So I have to explain some of these things. Um, when we talk about the people of God, it starts with Abraham. There's a covenant. You can find that in Genesis. There's a, there's a concept of being chosen. Uh, there's a concept of, of being children. I'm going to read to you uh, from Romans 9. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God or children of the living God. This is from Romans 9, and it references a, a beautiful passage in Hosea where I think it was Hosea and Gomer's third child. God said, you're going to call this child not my people. But he turns it into a beautiful thing called, not only will it be called my people, you're going to be called my children. So there's a sense of care where God said he encircles them and cares for them. There's a concept of circumcision, and it's not a physical circumcision necessarily, but a circumcision of the heart. And then a beautiful passage um, in Ephesians, it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So there's, there's cleansed. So we're going to move to body of Christ and I cheated here, uh, the, the word Christ is in the definition, but I, I was thinking, what could I have for a C word here? I thought of the word cranium, like Jesus is the, cra- I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. Then, then I thought the word cabeza, uh, no, that's, but, by the way, uh, happy birthday to Jesse Munoz and uh, Rich Ramirez. Um, I don't know why I thought of them when I heard the word cabeza, but... <laughs> I also found out it's Destiny's birthday today. Happy birthday, Destiny. Um, so because Christ is the head and we are the body, there's a sense of being connected. We are all different members, and because we're different members, we carry one another's burden. When someone suffers, we carry that burden. I'm going to be referencing this later. Uh, there's a sense of being called. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith. One baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, Ephesians 4. And here, uh, uncircumcised, Jesus, or we, we talk about the body of Christ having, a, there's no Greek, no Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slaver, free. Christ is um, in all. And uh, the last thing, commission, great commission. At being, being part of the body of Christ, we're called to go out make disciples of all nations. So um, moving on to the Temple of Spirit. Uh, Pentecost uh, is, is where uh, we see the Spirit move and, and begin the church. Uh, cornerstone, I'm going to read this. Jesus um, himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Uh, so this next one, Acts 1a, the, the, the verse there is, and you shall receive pow- power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That word power is the word dunamis, which we get the word dynamite. And so I kind of stretched. It's not dynamite, but it's C4. It starts with C. All right? It's, we, the Holy Spirit gives us this explosive power. Uh, we have things in common. This is when uh, in Acts they shared things. Uh, the church shared things and had things in common. 
Uh, in Acts also, we see the story of Peter, where he sees this big sheet and the animals, and Peter said, no, no, but the Holy Spirit corrected him. He said, no, no, what I've made clean, you know, th- this is now clean. So the Holy Spirit corrects. And then the word conferring is another word for kind of like distributing or apportioning. The Holy Spirit through the church gives gifts, gives gifts and, and confers those. So that's kind of, kind of an introduction of what, when, I, when we say church, what do we mean? It's not just a building, it's not a group of people, but these are really cool biblical images of what we can think of when we hear church. And I'm going to be referring to these in different ways. Um, but the passage this morning that I want to kind of take us through is uh, John 17. This is uh, known as the high priestly prayer. Um, now, why, why I picked this passage is because this, this is John 17. In John 18, he goes to the cross. He begins the, that whole process of being betrayed and then, and then being, and, and going to the cross. And so this, these are his last words. And if you look at the passage, a lot of the pronouns are uh, third person plural. They, them, he's, he's, he's talking to the church. And if you think about somebody who knows they're about to die, you, you, you want to say something very important. And so Jesus is taking this opportunity to pray for the church. And so we're going to just take a few different um, passages from John 17. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Uh, when Jesus has spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Verse six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that you have and that and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. I am coming to you. Holy Father, Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So I'm going to take this passage from John 17 and I'm going to just split it into three kind of main points. Okay, so the, the, the main points we're going to, the, the question this morning we're going to ask is why church? Why, why church? Um, wh- why should it matter? Why should we value it? Why should we attend it? Why should we immerse ourselves in it? And it's just three very basic points. Number one is worship. Number two, edification. Number three, mission. I'm going to make this kind of kinetic if you're listening to this on the recording, I'm making this big motion like I'm cutting a big cake. <laughs> worship, 
Okay, worship. Number two, edification. I'm kind of making a small piece of pottery. And then, and then mission, I'm making like a big piece of pottery. That's it, okay? It's very simple. Why church? Because of these three things. Um, so we're going to go back to that first passage in John 17, verses 1 through 3. And I, and I have some key like words underlined to, to kind of bring our focus in. When Jesus has spoken these words... He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all those you have given him. And this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So we begin with worship because that's why we gather. We worship the only true God. I'm going to read you a quote. This is from David Foster Wallace. He's an American novelist, and he talks about worship. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing a real God to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they, are what tap, if they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you will never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power, and you will feel weak and afraid, and you will need ever more power over others to keep that fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart, and you will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. Powerful. Wallace starts this quote by saying, if you, if you worship anything else, it's going to eat you alive. Now, the, I'm several, week, several months ago, I was walking through the source in Buena Park. If you know that place, it's like full of ethnic restaurants. Just walk in. And all of a sudden, at the corner of my eye, I spot something that I feel like I, I shouldn't be seeing. It was a, I, so I looked at it. It was a plate of food, but it was moving. It, what it was, it was like a plate of tentacles. Now, if you think, and, and someone's going to eat that. Like, if you, this phrase, eating, it'll eat you alive, it, it was so, like, visceral because when you think about eating something alive, like, it's just brutal. Like, uh, this, this church we call Mercy Commons, and one of the aspects is that we want mercy to be kind of free and available. But when I think about eating something alive, it's, like, merciless. It, it, it's, like, I mean, you shouldn't do that. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. But what Wallace is saying is that if you worship anything other than the true God, and Jesus says, in his prayer, that they may know you, the only true God. He said, this is eternal life. Um, John Calvin calls our, our human hearts an idol factory. We, we're just good at creating other gods that we, that we worship. And so what church does for us, it centers us, it, it um, allows us to worship what we should worship. Um, I'm going to drill down a little bit into um, work work as a, a way we, we worship. And so I came across this article written by um, 
a woman named Carolyn Chen. She's an associate professor of ethnic studies at UC Berkeley. Go Bears. She wrote this article. It was called, When Your Job Fills In For Your Faith, That's a Problem. She's not even a Christian, but she realizes that when, when we use work and we, and we substitute that for our faith, it becomes a problem. She also wrote a book I found out. I haven't read it, so I'm not in, necessarily endorsing it, but I'm going to share some concepts from the book. Between 2013 and 2018, she did a study over, of 100 people, primarily who worked in Silicon Valley in California, uh, and she basically interviewed them and tracked them, and, and she just, th these were her findings. So she tells us two stories. I'm going to kind of, um, kind of combine them. A story of a guy named John and a woman named Taylor. <clears throat> John came from Georgia, grew up there, small town. Uh, he, he became a, he learned computer science, became a programmer, started programming in his local bank. Great, nine to five. And then he got an offer to come to a big tech company in Silicon Valley. When he was living in Georgia, he was going to church. He was a worship leader. He found, you know, fulfillment in his church and his Bible study. But when he made the move and went to Silicon Valley, we worked 70 hours a week, lived at work, ate at work, um, and basically gave his life to work, stopped going to church. And uh, his story is the company did really well, and he just continued on that success, but kind of left his old, his old life behind. Uh, the story of Taylor is, is kind of similar, except her company ran out of money, the company folded. They, they were promising their employees, hey, we're going to get acquired. Here are our stock options. But the company folded, and she describes that next year, like there was a death of herself. She had given so much of her life to her work that after that was gone, um, she didn't know what to do with herself. Um, she, uh, Chen also coins this phrase, uh, corporate maternalism. I thought it was really interesting because what these companies do now is they, they, they do things that kind of take the place of what your mother would do. They, they, they feed you, they hire uh, a gourmet chef, a barista, they give you a new backpack, they give you, they give you a lanyard with your, with your key, it's, it's a key, it's your face on it. Um, and uh, some of these tech companies, they hire spiritual gurus and they, they give you spiritual lessons to teach you about your authentic self. Um, and what this does is it creates loyalty. You feel like, hey, this is great. I don't need to go home. I don't need to cook. I don't need to clean. Um, I, I actually worked in the Silicon Valley in the early 2000s. Um, this was during the dot-com boom. And uh, there were several occasions where I slept under my desk overnight and woke up and just did the same thing. And there was, it was kind of this, this badge of, like, of honor. Um, one of my daughters, Jubilee, works for a, a very big tech company right now, owned by a very famous person. His, his name rhymes with uh, Pilon Husk. <laughs> um, she, 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 uh, she got a job there uh, earlier this year and, you know, was raving about how they, there's a barista right there for you any time of the day, free drinks. She, she's started taking some pictures of her drinks, and then after several weeks, they stopped. But several weeks later, one photo came with a big collage of all the different drinks she got over the last few weeks. And so they, I mean, they take care of you. And so 
Um, I think she's doing okay, uh, but I just wanted to mention that it's, it's, it's very real, not only in Silicon Valley, but here. But um, what Chan also said that is that work used to be a place where you sell your soul. I remember hearing that. Now work is a place where you find your soul. And so what work has done is it has replaced this, this need for us to worship the only true God, and it, it has become that, that thing. And, and Chen also mentions it's not only bad for the individual, it's bad for the society. People who used to be involved in the communities, who used to go out and vote, now their lives are very insular. They just go to work, live there, come home, and then they just kind of check out of society. And so Chen is, again, a non-Christian, saying how this, this culture of work is, is very, has become very toxic. Uh, before I move on to the next point, I want to just give a quick or say a quick note about rhythm. Uh, I also came across this article um, from an anthropologist. His name is Brad Shore. He wrote a book called, uh, he actually wrote, wrote half a dozen books on the subject of ritual. The title of his book is called The Hidden Powers of Ritual. And what, he, what he's done is he's gone to very remote villages and observed different rituals of these, of these third world countries. Um, and he makes a very interesting observation. He says that ritual is one of the most powerful human um, constructs that we have in our toolkit. And so he explains it like this. Like, think about the different rhythms in your body. Right now, your body has a rhythm of uh, your heartbeat, of your breathing. Uh, going, going further out, you have a rhythm of your eating, of your sleep. And, and as you get further and further out, these rhythms that we are, that are concurrently going on in our bodies, we have more and more control over them. Think about what just happened a week ago. Magically, all your family from all over the place just gathered together. That's a ritual that we have created. And so what, uh, what Bradshaw says is that in the power of ritual, there's this concept called... Um, agency reversal, where these rituals that we create or that we make, somewhere along the line start to make us. Now, if you think about this ritual of gathering for the holidays, these, these are rituals that, that someone created that now you are now continuing, and then now you're passing down. Um, even thinking on a smaller scale, let's say every day you have a ritual of going to the gym you now have the power to change the rhythm of your breathing, of your heartbeat, and then how long you live, you know, possibly. And so the, the concept of, of gathering together on a weekly basis or twice a week has this power to create not only a difference in your own life, but a difference um, in, 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 your, in your legacy, the children that, that come after you. And so this, this concept of, of rhythm, I just wanted to talk about on, uh, on the subject of worship. Now, uh, before I get to the second point, can I borrow a microphone? The, okay, I'm not going to use it. It's just going to be a prop. So before I get to the second point, I want, to, I want you guys to try to forget that you're in a church hearing about church. Okay? Pretend you're like on a beach boardwalk or you are in a busy city and someone approaches you and says, hey, I'm doing a survey for the American church. Um, I have a question. Do you think you can be a good Christian without going to church? So think about that for a second. 
if you, if you say, if you say yes, we'll lie. If you say no, we'll lie. And, and, and it's a little bit, it's not, I don't, I mean, I don't think it's as easy, but can you be a good Christian and not be a part of a church? I want you to think about that for a second. Point two. Point two is edification. And um, what we mean by edification, um, sorry, I'm going to, I'm skipping ahead. I'm going to define it later. But first I'm going to read the passage from John 17. I have manifested uh, your name to the people whom you have, who you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and that uh, they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. So Webster defines edification as the instruction or improvement of a person morally or intellectually. We're, we're here to be edified. It's not just a, a, an intellectual exercise, um, but it's not also not just a moral one. It's, 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 it's all together, and I chose this word because I want it to kind of encompass the totality of who we are. Um, Ephesians 4 says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So, what I want to kind of focus on today is how this happens. It happens together in a body. Um, and it's very countercultural because I, I think we live in a very individualistic society. I don't think it even needs to be said, but I want to read a quote to you from um, an American sociologist. He wrote, he, write, he wrote a book called Habits of the Heart, and this is what he says. The social history of the United States makes it perhaps the most individualistic culture in the world. No culture more than American culture elevates the interest of the individual over those of family, community, and the nation. No culture more than the U.S. culture attributes one character, identity, and life conditions strictly to individual decisions and choices. In other words, if you are poor or marginalized, it's always your fault. You could never have avoided it. But uh, you, you could have avoided it that if you made better choices and took more initiative. <clears throat> so I'm going to pause a second. He does talk about how we as a Western society is very individualistic. And then he says, well, this is what the church does for a culture of individualism. I'm going to continue. He says, yet for two centuries, the religious nature of the American population counterbalances individualism individualism with denunciations of self-centeredness and calls to love your neighbor. The church demanded charity and compassion for the needy. It encouraged spouses to stick to their vows and to confine sexual expression to only inside marriage. Now, as religion declines, the guardrails are gone and we see more social breakdown. American individualism, now largely freed from the resistance of religion, is headed for social fragmentation economic inequality, family breakdown, and many other dysfunctions. And so 
when, when I asked this question earlier, can you be a good Christian uh, without going to church? It, it's almost not a fair question because what we've done is we've kind of distilled the Christian faith into like a set of values or beliefs or behaviors. But Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, preaches that they may be one. He says, they are yours. See, we think that our own bodies are, are belong to us. Uh, there was a movie several years ago called Calvary. Uh, daughter was having a conversation with his father, with her father, and she was just trying to convince him that it's okay for her to commit suicide. She said, she said, um, she says, I belong to myself to nobody else. And his response is true, false. He says, true, yeah, because your body does belong to you, but false because you also belong to a bigger body. We, we, we saw earlier the body of Christ is that we're connected. We carry one another's burdens. Um, now, My journey of individualism doesn't necessarily have to do with suicide. I know in a room like this, a lot of people have either contemplated it or considered it or tried it. Um, my my um, struggle with individualism came during the COVID years. Can you believe we're, we're, we're four years out from COVID? Um, March 2020, I lost my job. And for the next year, I was kind of floundering and during that time, um, several things came up, which, which I found through therapy and through a recovery group, but um, I just wanted to be by myself. I didn't want to be married anymore. And so the beginning of 2021, uh, I filed for divorce. I just, it was like a light just went off. And I, I just wanted to be by myself. And so throughout that next year, I mean, I told people, in that year, I filed for divorce, I shredded the divorce papers, and then I reprinted the divorce papers and served those papers, and then I dismissed the divorce. So, like, objectively, if I'm looking at myself, I'm like, That's, those are the acts of a crazy person. Like, you, you just, there's, there's no way about it. And so, um, if you talk to us during this time, I put myself into this recovery program that dealt with, that dealt with like, hurts and hang-ups, um, and through, through that program and through other resources, uh, I just, I, I, I came to, oh, I, it was revealed to me that there was many incidents throughout my life, childhood, adolescence, young adulthood, that kind of triggered this sense of insecurity, um, inadequacy, that losing my job just like, it, it just like, I just broke. And I have a, I have a Christian therapist friend who talks about COVID and said, you know, usually on a day-to-day -day basis, we're able to manage our lives, all these different hurts or dysfunctions. But what he saw in COVID is a, like a global, just, just everybody's stuff just coming out. Um, and, and if you talk to us during this, this period, we said that it took three churches to put us back together. We were going to a church online. Uh, we were going to a church in person, COVID hit, and then we continued online. We attended another church that had that recovery program and then Mercy Commons. Um, during that time, we had a couple of really good friends, Grace and Weston. They, they were walking with us. They uh, asked their, their life group to pray for this couple. Um, 
this nameless couple. And uh, we started coming to Mercy Commons, kind of hobbling in. And we decided to go to a life group. And we said, hey, we're going to visit different ones. For whatever reason, reason, we never made it to any of the other life groups, but we landed in the same one Weston and Grace landed in. And a year later, we're still in this group, and we we're able to share with this group, hey, do you remember this couple you prayed for a year ago? That was us. And so I said, hey, it worked. Thank you. And so um, <laughs> since then, I mean, Nick and Karen have walked with us. Um, Sean and Val have walked with us. Uh, Peter and Karen have walked with us. And these, these are just people that are from this church who we've allowed ourselves to, to, to get to know us and for us to get to know them. So if you were thinking about this question, can you be a good Christian without going to church? Um, 86% of the people surveyed said yes. And so I'm interested to see because what, what, what I just saw a statistic in 2022, so this is last year's numbers, it was the highest uh, number of suicides in America. You, you could see it kind of climbing, and it's the highest. And I'm curious to see what data 2023 will bring. Um, we are not our own. We, we belong to one another. Um, if, if anything good matters to you in life, you're going to allow yourself to be part of a church Point number three, purpose of church's mission. Um, and for this, I'm going to just tell the story from Matthew 21, Jesus overturning the tables. We all know this story. He goes, and he's really mad. He's, what's interesting is this is church for him. This is the temple. And he goes and he's like super mad. And he says, um, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Now, I just want to kind of illustrate, or I, I kind of want us to think about this story because why, did, why was Jesus so mad? Now, there is this concept that the, the money changers were taking advantage of the people coming because they, they, they knew they had to be here, and so they would uh, take advantage of them on the exchange of the money, and then they would take advantage of them on the selling of the animals to be sacrificed. I, I love deals, and I would turn over some tables if they were ripping me off. Yeah, I would get mad. But that's, that's actually not why Jesus was so mad. And, and you can see why because of what he says and what happens immediately after. So he says, um, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you've made it into a den of robbers. Those are actually two different verses from the Old Testament, from Isaiah and from Jeremiah. And I mean, he doesn't even finish his sentence He's so mad. Have you ever been so mad that the words coming out of your mouth just don't make sense or like you don't even, he was like so mad. And so he quotes from Isaiah 56 and I have, I am going to put that up there and I want you to, to pay attention to what he says and uh, just the significance of it. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to them, to love the name of the Lord and to, his, and to be his servants Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. 
we just visited Jacob, our son in France, just came home three days ago. And we were just asking him how it was. One thing he said was that he was very aware that he was a foreigner. And he used that word. And he said, when there was, a, when there was kindness shown to me, he says, as a foreigner, it really stood out. Um, moving on to Jeremiah 7. This is where the, the, the phrase den of robbers comes from. So this first part sounds really nice. And then the next part, not so nice. So verse 5 says, For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice uh, one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in, my, in this place, in the land that I gave uh, of old to your fathers forever. So he's kind of saying, hey, if you take care of the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, then I will let you into this place. But unfortunately, verse eight, behold, you trust in deceptive words to no avail. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal and go after other gods that you have not known? And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered only to go on doing all these abominations. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself have seen it, declares the Lord. And so um, what happens right after the, Jesus says these words? It says in Matthew 21, the blind and lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. So he was so mad because the people in the temple, were, this was a place that was supposed to be for all peoples. They were keeping them out. They were keeping out the lame, the blind, the foreigners, um, the sojourners, the widows. Um, we just did a, a, we just as a life group went through a module on, on justice and mercy. And a lot of powerful stories came out of that. And um, I mean, for me, I was thinking, oh, you know, as a life group, we, we, I want to do something big and we can do something together. But we came to this lesson that says, what's in your hand? And it was really powerful because what, we, what came out of that were just stories of all of us in our own lives just doing what we do in our lives. And so we, we heard the story of Syl running her widow and widow's ministry for years. And she said hundreds of people have come through um, and she's been able to, to care for them. It's a secular ministry, so she's not able to, you know, explicitly share her faith, but her story is her story and she's been able to share that and it's been awesome. Um, Hannah very emotional, shared about the children that she gets to minister to them. And she says, I feel like I'm able to make them seen. Beautiful. Um, Kip shared how he knows American Sign Language and is, has access to a, this, uh, the, the community of disabled people. Um, Amanda shared how she was faithful in a park one day and it led to a several year long relationship with an underprivileged family. And, and she currently leads a Spanish um, Bible study. Um, just stories like these. What do, you, what do you have in your hand that, that you can show justice and mercy to the widow, the foreigner, the sojourner, the fatherless? Um, and so before we land, I'm going to ask the worship team to, to come up, and I'm going to just, just give some questions to reflect on um, what it means to, to be known and 
and to know others in the church. And it's going to be just based on these three points of worship, edification, and mission. Number one, worship. What uh, is currently eating me alive? I mean, it, it probably doesn't take much to just reflect where, where do we feel lost? Where do we feel anxious? Um, what is occupying that space of worship that only God can fulfill? So think about that. The next one, edification. What, is, what does being a good Christian mean to me? What role does the body of Christ uh, play in my life? Or in other words, what role have I allowed the body of Christ to play in my life? Um, I love going to the gym. I don't like to work out. <laughs> but I love going to the gym because it's hard to go to the gym and not work out. You, you see everybody doing their thing and sweating and breathing, and you, you, you can't just stand there. I mean, you could, but... So what I love about church is you, you can't just come here and, if you, and, and, just, and just observe. I mean, if you truly care about the stuff of life, um, just, just show up and uh, it'll happen. Uh, mission. Who can, who can I invite into uh, the current ways I practice mercy and justice? This is kind of referring to what I have in my hand. Um, in what ways can I expand mercy and justice in my life? Um, throughout this message, I've, uh, I've intentionally incorporated close to 20 names from this church. And I did that because I want you to see that this is what it, it means to be immersed. Um, throughout the last two and a half years, we've allowed ourselves to be known um, and to know others, to, to, to love them, to be loved, and to be challenged. So let me pray for us. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, you have created the church, basically the, the representation of you if you were still walking on this earth. Um, for whatever reason, you entrusted that to us and we just take that um, and, and just cherish it and we want to um, expand it and care for it. Thank you that your church represents the people of God, that we're the body of Christ, and we're also the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as we um, go out and be the church, may those words be ever more powerful in this coming year. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When Jimmy spoke, one of the questions that he asked is, what is eating you alive? And one of the traditions, rituals that we have as a Christian church for over 2,000 years is actually taking a meal, participating in the body of Jesus Christ as a body. In a sense, we go to the table and as we eat, we're saying, by the power of your blood, Jesus, and by your broken body, help me to remain firm and the reality that anything else I give myself to will eat me alive. And so I want us to go to the table, those of us that are followers of Jesus, and to grab the elements, the broken body of Jesus and his shed blood and come back to our seats and we'll take that together. Jesus instituted this meal as a communal act. 
He instituted this meal at what we know as the Last Supper. He also said, every time you gather, again, a communal act, I do this in remembrance of me. What we're doing here is not just a ritual and a tradition that was established by Christ that was fulfilled through the early church, but it's something that we do in remembrance and expectation. And it's also something we do together because what it does is ratify exactly what Jimmy mentioned this morning. We are a people. Uh, that the minute we said yes to Jesus, uh, we said yes to a community of believers. It is this meal that binds us together. That is his broken body and his shed blood that makes us part of a community. And it is our desire to live that faith out as scripture tells us that the wisdom of God, the manifold wisdom of God is made known through his church. And so I want to invite you to take what represents Jesus' broken body. This represents Jesus' spilt blood, the blood that paid the penalty for our sins, the blood that breaks the power of sin. Take and drink. Our focus is always on the head of the church, which is Jesus. But Jesus came to establish a body, which is us, the church. He also established a way of engaging in that body. And it's a simple engagement. As anyone that confesses the name of Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will be saved and is automatically part of that body. If you're here this morning and want to be part of the body that the head established, I would love to chat to you. But Melissa has something she wants to share, and then we're going to uh, lead some ministry out of that. Hello, my name is Melissa. I am a member here at Mercy Commons. I am actually Jimmy's wife. Um, so if you, one of you guys are, I mean, if you guys are new, most of the time, by the time I meet you, it's, oh, you're Jimmy's wife. So, so good at coming out um, to, to meet those who are new. But one of the things I did want to share was that... Um, well, Jacob's not here, but I'll share about Jacob. So one of the things that Jacob had really started learning before going off to Paris was um, actually how to be known. And he started sharing a lot more of his life, a lot more of the hardships and the things that um, he would often internalize and just process by himself. And so right before he left, one of the things he shared was like, man, I feel so free. And as we've observed him as his parents, it's just watching him learn how to uh, be known, be loved, and to be challenged. And it was really cool to just see that freedom experience. And he just, it just looked like he was just living with no care on his shoulders, just like engaging hard conversations, engaging the freedom and the truth of what God has. Um, and so I just wanna in invite all of you guys into that freedom. Like if that's something that you feel that like you are missing or that just something is not quite right. I just want to encourage you into what Jimmy said. It's like, this is a place to be known, loved, and challenged here. And it's something that we've experienced. It's something that we'd love to invite other people to experience. And I just want to, um, you know, as we go into the new year, um, to challenge you in that because we, we just love this church so much. And um, I also just want to um, know what that freedom looks like. We would love to walk alongside you. So if love to pray for you. So Jimmy and Melissa with some other leaders will be on my left to your right. One of the other gifts the body of Christ gives 
to one another is the gift of one another. Um, to be able to be known, to be loved, to be challenged, but to also have someone to pray with you, to walk with you. Uh, Jesus is the one that heals, but he also tells us to pray for one another. And so if there's any need that you have, if you are feeling isolated, um, if you are feeling like there are other things that are taking the place of Jesus, if you're needing to be edified, encouraged, or you're needing to be spurred onto mission, we'd love to pray for you. Uh, for the rest of us, we're going to sing one more song and then release you to the back. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.